Welcome to the Senior Attorney Match Podcast. I am your host, Attorney Jeremy Pook, founder of Senior Attorney Match. Here, we discuss how attorneys who have practiced for more than 30 years can monetize their law practices. We also explain how to value and how to sell a law practice and the logistics involved when transitioning a law practice to a successor lawyer or law firm. I'm very excited today to introduce a panel for today's podcast. Today's podcast is Boomer Women in the Legal Profession, Retirement Options, and Looking Toward the Future for Women Leaders in the Law. The panel that we are very fortunate to have with us includes attorney Stephanie Scharf of Scharf Banks Marmor PC in Chicago, attorney Michelle Coleman Mays, General Counsel for the New York Public Library, Attorney Gabrielle Buckley, the Director of the Gannon Center for Women and Leadership at Loyola University in Chicago, and Attorney Kelly Colhane, Founder and Managing Partner of Colhane Meadows. We'll be speaking today on a variety of topics about boomer women in the legal profession, retirement options, and again, looking toward the future of women leaders in the law. And we want to start out by each of our panelists introducing themselves. Stephanie, please. Thank you very much, Jeremy. I really appreciate your inviting me to come to this podcast. It's my privilege to serve today as chair of the American Bar Association Commission on Women. I got there perhaps in a slightly different way. Law is my second career. I started out as a social psychologist focusing on large-scale surveys and survey analysis in areas of public concerns like health. And I turned to the law because I felt it had a very direct practical impact on people's lives and on businesses. And I've been a practicing lawyer for 35 years, almost to the day. I started out and for many years was a partner in two big firms, Kirkland and Ellison, Jenner and Block. Early on, I saw what I thought was a double tracking, where a large majority of women stopped working in big firms after four or five or seven years. And that puzzled me. And I decided the profession needed to know more about this and why it was happening. So I used my social science background and I developed and founded the NAL Annual Survey of Women in Law, another national survey about women's initiatives. With my ABA colleague, Bobby Liebenberg, I did a systematic study of women as first chairs at trial. And most recently, we published a really innovative study called Walking Out the Door, the Prospects of Long-Term Careers for Women in the Law. And in the meantime, after a number of years, after 25 years in big law, I formed a majority women-owned firm, Sharf Banks Marmor, LLC. We have happily become a nationally prominent firm representing businesses headquartered all across the United States. We always had a special affinity for hiring and being a place compatible for women. We always had flex time, part-time, remote working. We've been in the cloud since our formation with all of the necessary tech to make that work well. And we think we have a great combination of in-person teamwork and remote engagement which is both efficient and also sophisticated for our business clients. So all of this, to me, is a great fit for the work of the Commission on Women. 
whose mission is to open opportunities to advance women in the legal profession through a variety of methods and approaches. We hold conferences and specialized programs. We do innovative research. We have all sorts of opportunities for networking and learning from each other. And the commission is very welcoming of all voices interested in progress for women in the law. I'm very glad to be invited here. I have to give you the disclaimer that the views that I express here are my personal views and not an official statement of the ABA. And I guess there's one last thing I'd like to add. I recently formed a new consulting firm called the Red Bee Group. Some of your listeners may have heard of us. We fielded in four days and reported on the first national survey of the legal profession about the resources and experiences they have in this pandemic atmosphere of working remotely. And to us, it was kind of proof of concept that we can find out about the legal profession, use data and a 360 degree to recommend changes to businesses and law departments and law firms. Thank you so much. And Attorney Michelle Mays, please. Thank you, Jeremy. And like Stephanie, I'm pleased that I'm able to participate this afternoon. Stephanie and I go back a ways, although we haven't discussed why she named her consulting practice Red B, so that would have to be something I learn about later. I've practiced law for probably the longest of anyone on the phone call. It's now 46 years. I'm afraid to do the math. But I've been interested considerably in the space around women in the law especially women of color in the law, since I fit both categories. I spent the majority of my practice working for companies. Before I came to the library, I was with Burroughs, which became Unisys. I then went to Colgate-Palmolive and was deputy general counsel. I then became general counsel at Pitney Bowes, and before, immediately before joining the library, was general counsel at Allstate. I joined the library in 2012, And it's an interesting place to be because in many ways, it was a shifting of the gears because going from a for-profit to a not-for-profit is certainly not necessarily without differences. But it's been an incredible experience, particularly as you look at digitization and how technology is washing over all of us. And of course, that's certainly been highlighted by the pandemic. When you look at women in the law, Stephanie was, is the current chair, and I preceded Stephanie as chair of the commission. And one of the areas that I was extremely interested in pursuing was how bias plays out in the legal profession. And so there was a study published, it's been now close to three or four years ago, it's bias interrupters. It wasn't published four years ago, but it was completed four years ago and published about two years ago now. And that looked in very concrete ways how different systems, systemic bias, ends up impeding the career of far too many women lawyers. So this podcast is just, to me, a continuation of that discussion, which is how do you overcome those barriers? What do they look like? Why have they persisted for so long? Because I think each one of us would say that change has been far too slow. Thank you. And Gabrielle Buckley, please. Hi, Jeremy. I also join the others in thanking you for including me in this podcast. I had kind of a varied background, actually very varied when you look at what I do now. When I graduated from law school, I started with a 
a small firm that had broken away from a large firm with its Japan practice. So I began, I had studied Japanese in college and spent my junior year abroad living in Japan. So for much of the beginning of my career, I was with law firms and I was in-house with Borg Warner Corporation, largely doing Japan-related work. And at the time doing primarily antitrust work and then M&A and international trade work. And then I moved to Vetter Price, which is about a 300 plus, 350 plus attorney law firm with seven offices around the world. And one of the reasons I went there and why I did so much of what I did is that I am driven by the international bug with the personal goal of peace on earth and saving the world. I've been practicing, I don't even want to tell you this, (laughs) it will be 39 years this year. And when I first started practicing, Many of the professional clubs in Chicago were very misogynistic. I mean, they, many probably still are, but there were clubs where women were not allowed to walk in the front door, clubs where women were not allowed to eat in the main dining room. You had to reserve a side room if the woman was, was having lunch with you, which was very embarrassing when I was taking clients to meetings or joining meetings with clients. I really moved to Vetter Price to start their practice group. I chaired their culture, their international practice group and their global mobility practice group. And, you know, spent a lot of time there, but I decided, talk about this a little later, that it was time for me to make a change and do something that related more to my values and my goal of saving the world. And made this move to the Gannon Center for Women in Leadership at Loyola University. The Gannon Center primary program is providing scholarships to 40 students, young women, although men can apply, to encourage them to achieve academic excellence, serve their community, and develop an exercise of leadership skills. Wonderful. Thank you. And Kelly Colhane, please, Kelly. Sure. Thank you, Jeremy. And I just have to say I'm humbled to, to be on this podcast with Stephanie, Michelle, and Gabrielle because I feel in large part where my career took me and the ability to do what I'm doing now was the women pioneering as these women have done. So I started out at a very large law firm, Aiken Gump. I was in their trial section and I just wanted to work at a big global law firm. And I love the litigation life and thought that's, that's what I should be doing. And I am now, I guess, in my 26th year of practice, which I guess I'm a baby on this group. It feels great. What happened with my career, because I've loved it, I was, you know, getting opportunities to represent, I guess back then it was called the big six, but I was doing, you know, with big four professional defense and representing professionals in all contexts and getting some really good opportunities. But I was getting up to the partner level and I had three babies in four years. And I think I heard somebody just mention it, you know, there were there were definitely two tracks of partners. And I just decided I did not want to be mommy tracked. I knew I could not put in the 100 hour weeks. So off I went and I pretty much sort of retired and I'm doing my air quotes that lasted a very short period of time because I ended up being outside general counsel to my largest client, which was really unheard of then only because, you know, we didn't have the kind of remote workforce, obviously, or or technology that we have now. So fast forward, I I really wanted to have the sophisticated book I had while at the big firm, but not sacrifice my work-life balance. 
So about almost seven years ago, myself and three others, also large law firm trained and graduates, I guess I'll call us, we formed Colhane Meadows. And really after six years, we became the largest national women-owned full-service law firm. We are a full-service firm and we're a member of NAMWOLF and we're a women's business enterprise. And I feel so lucky that seven years ago, we decided to have a complete remote workforce. And I think something that helps women in particular when they join our firm is we don't even have office space. So we pretty much have utilized the technology from 2013 and every year we upgrade. So given where we are today, our firm has been able to focus on supporting our partners and frankly, supporting some recruits that are coming our way because of of what's going on now. And we're just humbled. We've got 60% of our equity partners and the managers of the firm are women, and 35% of the total partners are women. And, you know, we can go on with all our statistics about folks who identify as a minority, but I think what has really felt good just, again, I, I look to the women on this call because I think their efforts and the committees they've created and the awareness they've brought, you know, allows me to say that, you know, over the last five years, the highest earners, at least half of the highest earners at our firm were women. So women represent, if I say in another way, 50% of the top 10 highest compensated partners at our firm over the last three years. And in 2017, the top performer was a woman. I'm just happy and flattered to be on this podcast. Great. Thank you so much. And again, thank you to Stephanie, Michelle, Gabrielle, and Kelly. So We have three segments of the podcast that we're going to go over. The first segment that we'll discuss are retirement options for boomer women in the law. The second segment is going to be preparing upcoming women leaders in the law as boomer women leaders continue or really start retiring over the next five to 20 years. And then to discuss hopes and dreams for women in the legal profession among our panelists, what hopes and dreams are by December 31st, 2029. On retirement options for boomer women in the law, I'll just share from my vantage point, operating senior attorney match since 2013, options include lawyers continuing to practice well into their 60s or 70s if they want to, just to make all of the listeners who maybe have practiced for more than 30 years. So Kelly, you don't fit into this yet. But to make all of you feel better, I find that lawyers that have practiced more than 30 years are actually hitting their stride in a lot of respects like an athlete in the peak of an athlete's career. Because at that point, the lawyer knows the subject matter that they specialize in, developed a great reputation in their communities, and sometimes even nationally or internationally, and from a billable rate can often be charging at very competitive rates because of their experience in goodwill. That makes those attorneys very valuable, both at the firms where they practice and often a growing firm that would have interest in welcoming any senior attorney. And of course, boomer women in the law are no exception to that. So we're going to turn it over to Gabrielle because we already heard that Gabrielle is at the Gannon Center. So Gabrielle, you made a shift from practicing to a different career path that you're focusing on now. You explained to us earlier that that dates back to your interest in promoting women in your lifelong goal of saving the world. So just curious if you could let us know 
for yourself and for others that are thinking that they've always wanted to do fill in the blank? What led you to fill in that blank for yourself? I had a lot of different opportunities, both within law firms and then in my private life in terms of my nonprofit work. I had some wonderful experience with law firms. I created my own practice group, selected its members, enabled them to grow as lawyers and good members of society. Throughout my career, I mentored young male, male and female attorneys, primarily women. But I volunteered in many nonprofit organizations that enabled me to have contact with women, and they were for the benefit of women largely, which really exposed me to all kinds of people who had different kinds of needs. And so I'd have my my day job of working with very smart, well-dressed attorneys, and then I would go out and volunteer, as everyone on this call does. And I have always been very active with a number of different types of organizations. It sounds like what you realized is that you had the ability with the nonprofit experience that you had to pivot from practicing to applying for this role at the Gannon Center. Is, is that right? Yes, I did have the skills and this position came open and it was actually perfect for me. I've been here almost two years and it's interestingly enough, I would mention that my many of the skills I learned through my years with the ABA are as important as the skills I learned practicing law. So it's been a it's been an excellent move for me. In fact, it triggered a number of my friends to do the same thing. I have at least four friends who are lawyers, three are women, who left their big firm partnerships and went to work for nonprofits. It kicked it off. Once people saw it could be done, they did it. Thank you. And Stephanie and Michelle. So Stephanie, you're in private practice. And Michelle, in your introductory remarks, explained that you you were mostly throughout your career in a general counsel role. What do the both of you see, Stephanie and Michelle, through your advantages as private practice and from the GC side for retirement options or pre-retirement options for boomer women attorneys? Michelle, if you could start first, please. Ida Abbott talks about retirement by design. And that really means doing some serious soul searching, which is what I think Gabrielle did, to determine really what lights up your eyes. And in that sense, what I am seeing when I look at some of the women who are closer to the, I won't say the end of their career, but where they could retool. I'm not going to even call it retirement. I'm going to call it retooling. And they've done any number of things, Jeremy, everything from what Stephanie talked about which is opening her own consulting practice to what Gabrielle's talking about, which is being in a not-for-profit. But then some have also stayed in law firms, although it isn't necessarily hospitable for a host of reasons to do something different within the firm. That is, they're not necessarily being required to bring in the billable hours, but they're playing an instrumental role. And so what I'm seeing for the most part is people deciding This is where I want to use my human capital. And it can be everything from academia to what we talked about, which is consulting and running a mentoring consulting business, which I know some of my friends have done. They're coaching. They're acting as executive coaches. Now, they've gone back and gotten the the criteria that they need to meet to hang out that shingle. But they're not practicing law, but they're using all the wisdom they had from practicing law, but using it in a different way. Great. Thank you. And Stephanie, please. 
Yes, I actually find the question you asked very interesting, and I'd like to pick up on the comment you made about having your cake and eating it too. That is certainly a concept that many boomers aspire to, but it's not clear to me that the majority of women in the legal profession have that option. I recently did, along with Bobby Liebenberg, a career trajectory study which is about to be published probably in the next three months, looking at where do men and women end up between 20 and 30 years after graduation from law school. And it turns out after 25 years or so, 40%, 40% of women have left the legal profession entirely. And of course, many women leave firms and companies because they do not have the option of continuing on to practice. So as an overview, this is a different kind of pipeline issue. We in the profession have to retain enough women in order for them actually to have the full range of options that you've described. So that's one issue. A couple of other points, and I'm picking up on what Michelle said, it's hard to think about retirement because for so many years, lawyers in particular just pummel ahead and do what they need to do to practice if they can and earn a living. And retirement is different and it means thinking about different things. Does retirement mean working at all? Does it mean working differently for the same business? Is it working for a different business? Is it working flex time or part time? How much income do you need? What about family and health and children and grandchildren? Are, are there any lifelong goals that you have to do no matter what? Those are not easy questions to figure out. And those are the kinds of questions that frame how you move to and into retirement. Okay, Kelly, you've heard a lot. And you're a founder and managing partner of a law firm that practices in multiple cities. Please share with us from what you've heard from Michelle and Gabrielle and Stephanie. What are your thoughts? Also, as a, as a self-proclaimed disruptor of the provision of legal services in the 21st century. When I think about the boomer women retiring, it's got to be what does retirement look like? for you. And if it is practicing law and still doing it at a way, and, and maybe there's the automatic retirement, you know, a lot of firms have a certain arbitrary age and we're getting a lot of recruits, both men and women. And it's true. It's mostly men because we don't have the boomer women who have, have practiced nearly their entire career at the same amount that we have the men. But we've got people coming to us that say, I don't want to retire. I don't want to, you know, sit at home. I, I need to continue to be active. So a firm like Colleen Meadows does provide the opportunity because you, you will not have the hard and fast huge book requirement and you must work X amount and you must write an I love me memo at the end of every year. And then you can do the things that you like. You can spend time with grandchildren and serve on boards for nonprofits. And so I think a firm like Colleen Meadows does provide an opportunity for boomer women. And I do a lot of just talking with people at all aspects of their career. And they'll start as a lateral partner recruit for our firm, but we'll just start talking. And, and I, I really like doing this. And a lot of times it's, it's men and women senior to me, but I'll say, what does retirement look like for you personally? And usually there's a big quiet gap when we're both quiet and they were so 
anxious to get themselves into a firm and continue on that I don't know they've given themselves an opportunity to take a pause and a breath and just make sure that your next step, I call it my second act, (laughs) and I've had a second act, not on purpose, and, and maybe there'll be time later in the podcast to discuss, but my second act came and I really had to sit back and think, what do I want my life to look like? And it was first and foremost to be very present in my kids' lives. So I think that would be my my one, I guess, piece of advice for people facing retirement is what do you want it to look like? And certainly if you want to continue practicing law at the level you've enjoyed, I would love to hear from you at Colhane Meadows because we do have a platform that would support you. Thank you for listening to part one of the Boomer Women in the Legal Profession podcast. For part two, please visit the podcast tab at SeniorAttorneyMatch.com. Thank you.